The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. My name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm your host today. And here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about how spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So if you are listening live at the end of today's show, you can call in with questions for our guest. Make a note of this number. It's 816-251-3555. We encourage your questions and comments, and I think that you'll find that today's um, today's show has some, some interest for those of you that have recovery ministries in your churches. So the number again is 816-251-3555. So joining me today for our discussion is Carla L. from San Diego, and she's had kind of a long and winding journey and did not want to do what she felt ultimately she was called to do. But yet here she is today, and she is leading a successful recovery ministry at her church at Unity of San Diego. So Carla, can you share a little bit about your recovery ministry and maybe how that came about? Yes, I can. Um, for a long time, I didn't tell anybody at church that I was in recovery. I felt like it was my personal business and people really didn't need to know. But one of the people that I knew from recovery happened to make his transition. And at his celebration of life, there were about 200 people and quite a few of them were from our church. So when I got up to speak, I said, you know, I need to help people that are are at our church and people that aren't to know why I came to Unity and to be able to feel that love and that connection. And they need Unity just like I did when I first got out into recovery and got out of my rehab program. So I was moved to to just share that. So I stepped up and I presented a program to my minister who presented it to our board and Last August, I started a, a recovery ministry program here. So that's almost a year old now. It is almost a year. And so we started out, um, It was it's a small group ministry at this point. I know that it will be getting bigger. We started out meeting on Saturdays twice a month, and we went through Jim Rosemergy's book, The Gathering, so that we could learn a prayer process and learn self-forgiveness and uh we went through that. It was very successful. And then I asked the group, well, what would you like to do now? Because most of the people in the group had never attended, that came to the recovery group, had never attended Unity. 
And they said they wanted something that was spiritual with the Bible and with 12 steps. So I prayed about it, and what kept coming to me was 4T prosperity, 4T prosperity, not knowing that half of the 4T process is a 12-step program. I just always thought, oh, 4T, it's tithing and prosperity, which is a huge part of that. But there's also a 12-step program. Stratton Smith himself was in a 12-step program, and he shares about it, and he wrote his own 12 steps for learning to depend on God for our consciousness of all needs. So, so this, uh, we're just teaching that up. Uh-huh. And so this has gone over well with your non-unity, unity blended group? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. It's gone over very, very well. And I, I, we don't, like the regular 4T, put in the, put in the CD and listen. We actually pull out parts. I actually pull out parts from the 12 steps. Every lesson does have one of the steps. And mm-hmm. our main focus is on step 11. Um, and we, our focus is also on those maintenance steps. What happens if we you know, continue to, uh, to deal with when we have issues and then we start helping people new in recovery, but we forget our part of getting a deeper understanding and through prayer and meditation of, with our conscious contact with God. What if we leave that step out? Mm-hmm. Is that what's responsible for so much recidivism? So mm-hmm. that's a lot of the things that we've talked about and discussed. And um, while it's not an actual NA meeting and not an actual 11-step meeting, it is also, it is where everyone can get a deeper consciousness or miracles we are in recovery look how far we came how would our life look different if we depended on god as our source for everything mm-hmm. just like we did when we first got clean mm-hmm. so it's it's working very well so that's a really far cry from where you started <laughs> yes <laughs> you know what yes. 20 20 some years ago you're in recovery now yes. Yes, 20 years. I celebrated 20 years, actually, in August of last year. Okay, so moving moving in on 21 pretty closely. Yeah. So would you um, share a little bit about about your journey, you know, um, your experience, strength, and hope, I guess you would, would say? Well, yeah, my experience of strength and hope um, started, well, I guess I should start out when I was a child and how this happened. How does that sound? Sure, that'd be great. Is that a good place to start? Okay. Yeah. So when I was when I was I was daddy spoiled brat. I was the smallest, uh, the youngest of four kids, and then there was a problem. My oldest sister she got ill and couldn't take care of her kids, so my mom and dad adopted my little brother and sister. So I was no longer daddy spoiled brat little baby. I was now a middle child. And I wasn't very nice. I wasn't very a nice kid. This was when I was five, and I was a pretty mean kid. I had a lot of resentments. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. But I was very, very jealous of my little brother and sister. Um, and right around the same time, my parents decided to become Jehovah's Witnesses. So now we have mm. more kids. All of a sudden, we don't celebrate Christmas anymore. We don't have birthdays anymore. And... Everything seemed to change. So my mom became a religious addict, and so I I became a very, very nervous child, very, very 
sure that God was going to kill me. My dad at the time wasn't really a Jehovah's Witness, so I spent my year of first grade coming home after school digging a bomb shelter in my friend's backyard so that his mommy could be saved and that so God wouldn't kill my dad, who wasn't mm. at the time a Jehovah's Witness. So I was a nervous wreck. I washed my hands all the time and seems I wasn't good enough. And that continued. And after a while, my dad became a Jehovah's Witness. And I just kept trying and trying and trying. And then uh, I just kind of gave up. When I was te a teenager, I got pregnant. And as is part of that religion, uh, you're what's called disfellowship, so you're ostracized and not spoken to. So when I feel like when I needed people, I wasn't, I was ostracized. I needed to depend on someone, and I wasn't able to go to anyone. Mm -hmm. So I uh, got married to a Navy man, moved to San Diego. At this point in time, I hadn't used any drugs at all. Didn't drink, didn't do drugs, didn't do anything at all. And uh, I had a lot of guilt. I wanted to please my both parents now, of course, daddy's girl. Now he was a Jehovah's Witness. I wanted to please him too. Mm -hmm. And my husband was in the military, and Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in in the military. So I was very full of guilt. Um, we became divorced. We got divorced when I was about 31. And then I just snapped. I started using drugs, lived down at the beach, um, started to take care of my kids working and working, being the sole support. I had four girls. Uh -huh. And it just became, how do I stay awake? How do I do this? How do I lose weight? And it just became that cycle of methamphetamine and work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's that's really uh, quite a um, a spiral. I mean, for an anxious anxious child with no coping skills, really. Um, right. And that's into true. adulthood with no coping skills, emotional coping skills. Um, did they ever talk about about at home? Did they ever talk about, um, well, did they ever talk about the spiritual basis of life or uh, coping skills or you know prayer and things like that or was it all no, the don'ts? Did it? I'm sorry. No, you I said or was it, it all a list way? of don'ts? Yeah, you just did, either did it that way or God was going to kill you at Armageddon and you would be gone. Mm -hmm. So it was per, you know. So it was very, very stressful. So you found and, yourself uh, an adult, highly stressed, um, with four kids, sole support. Were you homeless on the beach? No, no, I wasn't homeless on the beach. We still had a house. We uh, and I actually moved in with a doctor. Uh huh. So that even made my access to drugs easier. Uh, mm -hmm. So we used drugs together. My kids were, and by that time, then my older two kids had moved out is they were grown and I had two younger daughters at home and they were both just barely 13 and 15. And so I thought that because I had a doctor as a husband or person I was living with that I was better than anyone else. And so not only now did I have a drug addiction, I had one of those better than thou attitudes. I wasn't like all the other addicts. I, you know, was better. So, mm -hmm. Uh, when, even though inside I felt really incomplete. Mm -hmm. So when did you first realize that your addiction was an issue? Well, I think I really started uh, believing that it was an issue when, 
Hmm. Probably after my third I was, third time arrested. I was hmm. incarcerated three times. After my uh, the doctor I lived with uh, began to use drugs, and he lost his license. So we began to commit a little bit of crime here and there to uh, to support our habits. Mm-hmm. So the third time that I was incarcerated, it really, really got to me that it was time to do something else. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that I rationalized was, everything. So at that point, did were you forced into treatment, or did you cold well, turkey, or how did that work? Well, there was something called that, that was the precursor to drug court, and it was called probationers in recovery. And I had gotten out and been court-ordered to this outpatient program. And a friend of mine said, if you don't stay clean during this program, they will send you to prison. I'm like, really? And they said, yes. And so I stayed in the house, and I I kicked drugs for a few days, and I said, I'm not going to prison. That's where I have to draw the line. I will never, ever go there. So I got clean on August 17th. And was the last day I used was the 16th, and that following Monday I signed up and went in for probationers and recovery. Mm-hmm. So I was clean, but I still had those behaviors, and I still had the behavior that uh, I was better than and that nobody could tell me anything. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, they call it in one of the yes. programs, that uh, without a change of those that um, – that that is really part of what comprises this spiritual awakening. And so, um, you know, how did you find out that you had that kind of an attitude? Oh, the the judge sent me to a behavior modification program. It was also a drug rehab. So I had gone, the probationers and recovery was where you went in three days a week, you saw a counselor and a probation officer, and you worked on a program. Mm -hmm. My, uh, Best thinking when they said, you always have an answer, and I said, then ask me harder questions. And they said, you're going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did they ask you harder questions? Oh, they sure did. I actually went to court, and I took my probation officer to court and said, I tested dirty. I mean, I'm sorry, I tested clean 65 times. Why are you sending me to this program? And the judge said, because we don't like your attitude. Mm-hmm. So what you've so, reminded me of is that an awful lot of people end up exactly what you're talking about. They're in compliance with a program, but they have not surrendered, and they are not really in recovery. They're complying with the program, like and they're clean. Mm-hmm. It's like that uh, drunken horse thief joke, that what do you call a drunken horse thief that no longer drinks? You call uh-huh. him a sober horse thief, you know, so. Right. Yeah, that's so, kind of how I was. So that was after your third arrest. <clears throat> and so what changed? How did you make it from um, from compliance, I'll call it, with the uh, probationers in recovery to, to where you are now, you know, in the smaller steps, not the big jump? Um, you know, how did you get your attitude changed? Well, uh, this place was uh, community resources and self-help. It was actually a drug, re- drug and alcohol rehab slash behavior modification program. Mm-hmm. It was very strange going through a rehab clean. Mm-hmm. But I had a great counselor. I was able to do a lot of deep work. And 
I was able to look a little more at the core. You know, nobody grows up and says, oh, I can't wait to be an addict when I grow up. You know, there's all those underlying issues. And so I was able to take the time and able to actually understand uh, recovery concepts, error thinking, even though that's not what they called it. And I still remember the first affirmation I ever heard, even though I never knew what it was. Want me to tell you what it was? Absolutely. Sure, I'm a, I'm a strong, confident woman walking through my fears, and I'm taking my power back now. And you did. Never heard of unity, never heard of affirmations, but that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. So at some point you had to surrender to this. Mm-hmm. And was there an event or um, circumstance that led to you realizing the surrender? I think it was, well, I think it was when I just realized I just could not go on. I needed to give this up. I needed to change. And looking at the people in rehab that were just coming in with 15 minutes clean or a day clean, I kind of got an the ability to look at how I was. This was me, but for the grace of God, guess what? That is you. That mm-hmm. is how you were before. This is, and if you can, there was people who had been there three, four times mm-hmm. that were much older than me, and I thought, wow, mm-hmm. how long am I going to continue to do this? Because really, I was kind of old. I was already in the almost 40. So. Mm-hmm. It was it was really a wake up call. And my counselor, one of my counselors, said to me, "So what are you going to do? Be an old lady knitting in prison? When are you going to stop?" And that that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I sounds like I a wake up call. Something. Yeah, yeah. So you went through this program. You went through rehab. Um, how did how or when did you get introduced to a twelve step program? Actually, through that program, through probationers and recovery, we still went to 12-step programs. And before I went to the behavior modification, I'd hand my slip and to sign, you know, and slip out the back. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't until I really decided that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to stay clean that I began to continue to go to 12 steps on a regular basis, even after I was no longer court-ordered to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I met my husband now, so that's mm-hmm. it's nice. Added benefit. Yep, added benefit. Met a, a wonderful husband. So you were in the 12-step program, and how long were you in the program before you um, you found unity? I started, uh, let's see, 97 I started there, so about five years. I, mm-hmm. I found Unity in 2002. And so in the program, did you find that, I mean, did you get a sponsor and work the steps and oh, use yeah. those tools to change your life at that point? I did. I found this. I had a sponsor. I worked the steps. She's transitioned now, but I did work the steps with her very, very closely. Um, she became my neighbor, and it was, we we had a very close relationship, and it was very very healing, mm-hmm. very healing the first time, and the times since then has have also been healing. Mm-hmm. So when you go through the third step, which of course is about finding and relating to and be learning to trust your higher power, how did you sort that out with your um, childhood belief systems about God? 
Right. Well, I always had a different belief of God. Even as a small child, I I would talk to God like my best friend. It would almost be like I was talking to myself. I knew that the, that God was not the God my parents were trying to teach me the God was. I had a feeling, and that's what God to me was a feeling, that looked like my daddy before while I was still a spoiled brat, but... Mm-hmm. It was a feeling of love and security and peace and that I can tell you anything and you'll still love me. So it was that feeling that became my higher power. And that's what helped me. I love you anyways. I love you no matter what. That was the feeling of, and that was who my higher power was. And so you didn't really have to change a whole lot once you started working on a conscious relationship. Not really. Not really. I went back to what I almost, I think, innately knew as a child. Mm-hmm. So what um, what led to you finding unity? I know a lot of people I've talked about don't find unity until they're stuck in their 12-step program where they are not, you know, they've learned the program, they're they're doing the work, they're working with their sponsor, they're helping others, they're holding service positions, and they still feel like there's something missing, and so they go on a search. Well, my situation was a little bit unique. Um, My daughter, my youngest daughter, had run away. And I put signs up, went around, you went to all visit all her friends and whoever I could think of, drove days looking for her, couldn't find her. So it was my sponsor that said, there's a church down the street that has a prayer ministry. And if you call them, I guarantee you, it always works for me. It will work for you. So I said, yeah, yeah, right, sure. You know, and then I thought about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. I called the prayer line. The next day, my daughter was back unharmed and fine. And I stepped into that church, into Unity San Diego, and have not left since then. Mhm. So that was my in- initial step into unity. Mhm. So you started attending. I started attending. In the meantime, uh we ended up getting custody of my the one of my daughter's sons. We hadn't quite adopted them yet. And I came a couple times and I'm like, "Okay, now I have kids. We need to give them a some a spiritual basis. I like what I'm hearing here." Let's mm-hmm. see how this is. So we brought the boys. They were eight months and, and four years old. And I sat in to see how the Unitot class was for the little ones. And I signed a three-month contract to uh, volunteer in the youth ministry. And that was in 2002. And in, now I've been employed here since 2008. So I've been all these years in the youth ministry and then the youth director since 2008. Mm-hmm. So I never but, left. So which part, which part of that journey to this date? You you told me that you felt called, felt called, and maybe we haven't got to that part yet, and you didn't really want to do it. Was I it the youth really director? No, no, I wanted to do that. It was becoming a, a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. That's what oh. I really didn't think I wanted to do. So when did that calling come about? That came in 2015. 
and uh, I, w- I had uh, some schooling that was going to be paid for, and a friend came to church and said, oh, you should go to UCSD. They have a great program for drug and alcohol counselor. And I'm like, no, you know, I, I was so afraid of the behaviors. I was so afraid that I would slip back into behavior because of still you know, being in the rehab with people who, who still had behaviors, and I still had behaviors, and since that was my huge issue, I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And so this nudge just kept nudging me and nudging me, just go take the class. And I thought, well, I'm not going to work in the field. So I'll take it, but I'm not working in the field. So I took the class and did my internship as far off as I could. I did my internship in a methadone clinic. I did anything I could to not be where I thought I wanted to be. And when I came back, still the youth director, uh, they, I started getting kids in our region and kids in the area that needed help with their drug addiction or with their parents' drug addiction some self-harm issues, and I thought, wow, I guess I'm needed. So I kind of stayed just in that area. I'll work on Even now, I'll see people on referral, and I don't go out and work in an actual program. Mm-hmm. But I will take sponsees, and I will, you know, do that part. But as far as for the drug and alcohol counseling, I um, I pretty much keep that to whoever in Unity needs help, and then a few referrals on the side. But I didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. I was scared to do that. That was uh, a step that I had to really step out of my comfort zone to do. Right. So how do you bring together the Unity principles um, that you've learned since you've been in Unity um, and as a licensed teacher and as some other things that we'll talk about here in a minute? Um, how do you bring that together with 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 the recovery principles that you're that you have learned or that you were taught as part of your addiction counseling? Well, of course, the denials and affirmations, which are my favorite, but I see the, the and I think this is what, is your, what you're talking about, the correlation between the 12 steps in unity mm-hmm. and how that works. There's so many commonalities in that. Um, you know, we both have the closer understanding. We have a relationship with the God of our understanding. One thing that really resonates with me is that in unity, we don't have to say Jehovah or we don't have to say God on most high or or we can name God whatever we want, same as in the 12-step program. So that is helpful as well. And another thing is that we accept anybody in unity wherever we are on our spiritual path and in the 12-step program, we expect we accept everyone wherever they are in their recovery as well. Right. So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll resume our conversation right after we open the phone lines for callers. So the number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, 
You're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Great teachers through the ages have spoken of the importance of our mind and of being master over our thoughts. How often do we forget that we are the ones who decide what thoughts we'll hold and what thoughts we'll reject? The world's great teachers also remind us that our thoughts create our experience. We may not be able to change what is happening in our world, but we can always choose how we will respond to the changing situations of our lives. With a positive attitude, your chance for success in any situation can be greater. That's because a positive attitude will inspire you to look for workable solutions rather than allowing negative thinking to limit your decision-making. This law of life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer or call 816-969-2000. Recovery from addiction can be a lonely experience. Get help and support with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Spirit of Recovery every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Lonnie offers a place where spirituality and recovery meet. Each week, Lonnie shares stories and covers topics that are important to the recovery community. Tune in for some lively conversation and join in with your questions and comments. Nearly 21 million people struggle with addiction in America. Reach out and join us here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Well, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And here with me is Carla L., And we're going to resume our discussion in just a minute or or so. First, we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers because um, Carla has some interesting thoughts to share about about a recovery ministry. So if you have a question or a comment to share with Carla, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. 
So just before the break, we were talking about the overlap between 12-step principles and programs and tools and unity. And Carly, you were talking about denial and affirmation, and you just started sharing about um, God concepts, if you will. Okay. Well, one of my favorite things is, of course, in the 12-step programs, we can choose the God of our own understanding. And it's wonderful to me that in unity as well, we don't have to have a specific name for God. We can choose our name. So that's one uh, one thing that I find is similar. Also, we're each on our own spiritual path, and we're accepted wherever we are on our spiritual path in unity. And, of course, in 12 Steps, you you can attend 12-step meetings and begin anywhere you're at. You don't have to be in a particular place, which is great. We also believe in error thinking and releasing what no longer serves us. Same thing also in the, in the program where we work to to get rid of those of of our make our amends and makes our lists and we ask to have our shortcomings removed in step number 7. We also ask for our error and work to remove our error thinking in unity. So we work the steps of of NA or AA when we're ready and we work our spiritual steps at unity and our own spiritual growth as we're ready. So those are some of the things that that I find are the same. Both programs we need to do our own footwork, we need to walk our talk, we need to be responsible for ourselves. So I think you've picked up some really important comments there. Um, you know, given that the the twelve step recovery programs are not they don't have a corner on the market, you know, as far as spiritual principles. And neither do any or all of the religions out there, you know, or any or other spiritual paths for that matter. There's underneath them there is a common theme, if you will. Of, of what you've just talked about. And I think for me that the both the 12-step program and Unity have given me tools that I didn't find other places in order to, to deal with life. That's true. That's true. And, and they're very, very similar. I know when I first started the recovery program, I t- uh, did some work and some studying on Emmett Fox and mm-hmm. how he was so intrume- instrumental in helping the big book of AA to be written, and how some of his work was required reading before the book was actually made, the, the big book. So it's very it's very interesting. My minister had told me about uh, some of his property in Ohio being left to Unity of Ohio. So it was very interesting, and I thought I used that as the basis to start my recovery ministry here at Unity San Diego. So how did that get started? Well, I thought there's so many people in recovery. So after after I I shared earlier about standing up and speaking when my mm-hmm. when our friend had made his transition and I thought we we have in the Southwest Unity region there's Hollywood, there's Las Vegas, we don't have a recovery ministry here. What's going on? There's so many similarities. We need to offer something. Mm-hmm. And I looked at some of the fundamental churches that have groups for those in recovery, and I thought, well, how does that work? It seems like if you go to a religion where you're 
able to blame the devil, the devil made me do it, or you you have this excuse. For me, that would have been a rescu- an excuse to relapse. You know, oh, mm-hmm. it was the devil. Oops, it was, you know, mm-hmm. I sinned, and now I can be forgiven and do it again. So it just didn't melt with, it didn't merge with me as far as, here, I have to take responsibility. I'm working through these steps to take responsibility for my own actions. How can I go to church and then have somebody to blame it on? So that's why I felt like in unity, we really, really need something where we can work together, where our mind won't boggle, and then we have an excuse for reservations, an excuse for relapse, and that where we'll be able to be on the same path and on the same same wavelength at the same time. We're, so that's kind of how that started. And so I spoke to some people that um, were in 12-step programs and also in Unity, and that's how I came up with, the, with using The Gathering, um, mm-hmm. the book from Jim Rose Mergy. And I just kind of said, well, let's brainstorm a little bit. Let's see what do you think is needed. So did you have some other folks in recovery working with you on this? I did at first. I did at first, and they're they're still here and there. They they still attend, but we kind of came up with something where, you know, we're going to make it not a 12-step meeting, but similar. So we come in and we talk about the small I am and the large I am, you know, the we use a lot of Jack Boland's work, and we talk about the difference between I'm an addict in my human form and I am a child of God or I am perfect and whole. So we worked on that, and that was a great concept to be able to teach people not in unity mm-hmm. and and to remind all of us in unity as well. And then we do some tokens. If somebody's got a lot of clean time, we'll do, we'll do a, a token. And then we open it up for a little bit of sharing, and then we go into our into our what I call curriculum. So, we go so is this a one-hour or a two-hour meeting? It's it's usually about an hour and a half. Okay. And then I give a little bit of homework. One of the cool things I think the best thing we did was in the 14, I can't remember, I believe it was in step four, chapter four, where we made, uh, we made a list of all our wrongdoings, and in that list was also our good points. So we had our assets as well. So we didn't just know what was wrong. We also got our good points and put them together. Mm-hmm. And then we went and went through our lists. And it was incredible because so many people had more good things. And I know I didn't the first time I did my fourth step. Right. And for some people, it was hard to make a, a, a more searching, fearless, moral inventory of their good points. Right. Yeah, I so, wonder why that is, but I know that to be true. Yeah, yeah. We worked really hard on being able to accept. You know, giving is real easy. Oh, I can give and I can give. But sometimes I feel like I'm not worthy to accept mm-hmm. and I'm not worthy to receive. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of the first probably six months or so working on I'm worthy. I'm worthy to move beyond. I'm worthy to have a relationship, a deep relationship with the God of my understanding. So that's really what we worked on primarily in the 4T process. And that was so important that we had to keep and continue to revisit that. But mm-hmm. 
you know, it's the circle of prosperity and it's the circle of life. You give and receive. Right. So you you started this um you started this recovery ministry and then you have also been called to ministry yourself. Yes. You want to talk about that? How'd that happen? Sure, sure. I actually did I actually started at Urban School. I'm almost done. I'll be I have one more class after this session, but I started in 2016 with two purposes in mind. One was to have a recovery ministry and to open the open unity up like I said to people in recovery and let them know all the joyous things I've learned but also to help do programs for special needs kids and I my daughter was with unity and I have a special needs granddaughter and she moved a little bit farther from our church but she found the fundamental christian church that had a really good program for special needs kids mm-hmm. and so I thought well why don't we have that? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. In my youth director job, which I still have, we're working on opening up our programs, opening up and, and mainstreaming people in and having more volunteers so that we can help those special needs kids as well. So it's kind of a dual purpose. And while that is working pretty well and we're, our region is a little more open than it was before to have people that or have kids attend events that need a little extra care. Um, and our class here, we, I have some employees here that work with the smaller kids that are actually paid employees, and so they're trained to be able to help kids that have special needs. Uh, I'm able to now focus a little more on the recovery ministry. So I had some big goals, and I still do, and so I think both things are very much needed. Well, I guess part of it that interests me is you could have done the special needs um, aspect as as the director of the youth and family ministry. Um, you wouldn't have had to go to ministerial school for that. That's true. And so That's what are you true. getting from ministerial school that supports you in your recovery ministry? What I'm getting there, and especially through the urban school, is that I'm getting a way to give unity and present unity out into the community, especially just to your average person. Our church is located in an urban area. It's very low income now. A lot of, um, of, and we actually have a junior high school for first-year immigrants, and we have a Head Start program. And so it's spreading unity into the community so that everybody, everybody, regardless of who they are, are welcome here and feel like unity can be their home. And so it's helping me put this, learn this, especially all the extra urban classes and the extra, and actually I took two, um, they offered two drug classes too at urban school, so, which was really nice. Family, family, I'm trying to think it was a couple years ago, so family, in the, the family in addiction and personal, uh, personal addiction with Gorski material, which was really nice. So, so when you're introducing unity well. into the community, are you going out into the community or how are you accomplishing that? We have a lot of really good things. Um, recently, we we do go out in the community. Our kids go across the street. They clean the park. We are, are we. We Like I said, we have the junior high school here. They have food. We go out and pass it out in the community. We do Feeding America once a month. We 
we have NA that meets here. We have we used to have AA, but they're coming back. A CODA meeting will be starting soon here. So we we have a big enough campus where we have a lot of different groups coming in. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm wondering how you get their attention to talk about principles and, you know, present unity in more than just a superficial way. Right. Well, we talk about, we actually walk our talk and we talk about unity and talk about belief systems and how would it be if you believed that you were worthy? How would you believe, how would it be if you felt like you deserve everything that you, that's nice and that's good for you. And how would you feel if you if how would it be for you if you didn't have to live in fear? So, are these casual so conversations we, that you have during these community events? We have them during the community events. We actually walk out and talk to people in the neighborhood about it. We actually uh-huh. do do uh, different events and invite the neighbors in. And we invite them, of course, to come to our services as well. Right. So I'm not right. sure if I'm hitting your question right, but. Well, my, yes, yes. It's it's becoming more clear to me, obviously, because I'm not familiar with your church and its activities. But with the falling attendance of churches and the difficulty of, re, of uh, recruiting new members, to use a, a bad phrase, but to attract people to come to, you know, how do they hear the message to know they want to come? I guess. And, oh, okay. you know, that's one thing. And then the second thing is the um, some of the languaging that we're using in Unity is really uh, foreign language to the common person, you know. And so that that's what my curiosity was, is how are you transcending those barriers if they don't walk in well, your front door and you're out in the community? How are you communicating with the individuals to help them understand that this is how we're different? Well, as far as that, we are on Meetup, we're on Facebook, you know, we do those regular social media things, but also we come in and we talk to the students at the school here who live in the neighborhood. We, the church also owns an apartment next door, which is which houses low-income people and two houses across the street. So we're able to talk to uh, to people that are in the general area. Recently, I don't know if you've heard about the Blue Ribbon Acknowledgement story by Sparky Halise mm-hmm. Bridges. That in the 80s, she had a little blue ribbon that she would hand out to people and say, who you are makes a difference. And then she would explain to them how they made a difference, honor them with a ribbon, and give them two more ribbons to honor other people with like a little ceremony. So we recently, actually at church on Sunday, we passed out 500 ribbons in in English and 100 in Spanish. And so we're going out to the community talking to people and going out and telling them, hey, you make a difference. Come and see what we do here. We accept you. We love you how you are. And mm-hmm. then for the people, because there are quite a few Muslims also that live in this area, we invite them to our events. Mm-hmm. We invite them to our fall festival. We invite them to come in and and just talk with us. And there are these junior high school, although it rents from us, it, they're in our fellowship hall. They rent two or three three floors of our tower. So we're always there, seeing them every day. So it's a it's a great experience. It's a way of showing that by our acceptance and our love and total accepting of who they are, that we are different. 
it sounds like the integration is a good thing and that, you know, it isn't just a Sunday experience. Oh, no. So, um, you know, if we go back up to, you know, the 50,000 foot view here, what is what would you say over this whole journey? Um, what's the most important thing that you've learned or continue to practice or want to share? I think that what I would really like to share more than anything else is that unity is a positive way of life that people need to know about and that most people don't. And that if we were to put them side to side by the 12 steps and really put ourselves out there where we're going to or going to 12-step meetings and saying, hey, we have space available in our churches or look at the difference, read the golden key from Emmett Fox. He was instrumental in the in the helping to write the big book. I think if we put it out there and people could see the similarities between the two programs, that we could do wonders in helping the world, in stopping recidivism, in just helping people to realize that when you do a 12-step program, you're not alone. And if God yes. can help us, or the God of our understanding can help us stop using or drinking or whatever our addiction is, then what? how much more can we experience in life if we depend on the God of our understanding for everything? And you mentioned family members earlier. Um, one of the statistics I read recently said that over, I think it was 46% of the American public has a friend or family member with an addiction issue, which to me means that, you know, we've got half the people with addiction issues and the other half living with them. And, yes. um, you know, you mentioned CODA earlier, and of course there's Al-Anon and Narcanon and some other family member programs that uh, are also based on 12 steps. And so it's not that uh, unity is exclusively a, hey, we can help you as a 12-stepper. You know, right. it's... it's uh, it's got a lot of support for anybody. That's true. That's true. And we've actually recently renamed our Unity Ministry to Recovering Your Spiritual Power and opened it up to anyone whose lives have been touched with any type of addiction whatsoever. And one of the things that I think we spoke about earlier was that I needed to be specific at first about this is not an NA meeting. This is for everyone. This is a higher, deeper experience. I think some of the congregants thought that they were interrupting an NA meeting a few times and didn't want to come in. And so I actually had to get up and let them know that, th no, this is different. So how this would you... Unity spiritual um, principles. I'm sorry? I said this, this is teaching of unity principles and unity teachings to people that in 12-step programs. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to start a recovery ministry similar to what you have, what would your advice to them be? What kind of suggestions would you make? Well, I would uh, suggest that they outline exactly what it is they wanted to do. How many times a month are you going to do your program? Is it going to be a small group? Is it going to be a larger group? Are you, is it going to be a Sunday service? Um, and also to see if you're doing a study and you're doing it with a study, like a book like we did with The Gathering or 4T, how are you going to put this together? So yes, in other would, words, you can um, – go ahead. It would seem that you need to have some 
ability to interpret or translate or connect the dots. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, I guess suppose a lot of it for me is because I write a lot of curriculum being the youth director for 10 years. And so I'm a little, have a little bit of experience in in translating or unitizing material or putting it together. Mm -hmm. But I, I find that if we know what we want, if we want a discussion group or we want a study to maybe outline that, how long you want each session to last, if you want it to run six weeks or if you want it to be a continuous thing. And be clear on what it is, that exactly what you want to do. So that was one of the things I had to learn uh, the hard way was I wasn't actually specific. I had this idea in my head. I wasn't sure how it was going to happen, and I kind of morphed. I was uh, very fortunate to have people to help me, though. Mm-hmm. How did you recruit your helpers? Um, I just I just asked people that I knew that were in recovery and in unity if they would like to help to come together with a with the unity program so that we could so that we could do this and and they stepped up and some of them wrote some guidelines and we went through well do we want to do this do we want to announce ourselves as addicts how do we want to do that and that's how we came up with the small I am and then the large I am for who we are in our spiritual being. And we put a limit on sharing time. And we also give out little bits of homework. They look like little uh, fortune cookie papers, but a little bigger. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, spend this week saying I'm prosperous a hundred times or, you know, think about your goals and next time you come bring four or five goals that you've thought of. So, and when we usually start the next group by, you know, how was your experience during the time you weren't here? Were you able to work on some of the things that we gave out to do? So do you have a break between sessions? Like if you have a six-week session or a 12-week session, and then you take a little time off, or is your running continuously? We can, we keep going the first and third Tuesday. Now it's Tuesdays, the first and third Tuesdays of each month. So mm-hmm. I found that we can't get people here every week but we can get them here the first and third or Mm -hmm. twice a month. Mm -hmm. So have you written curriculum for those two books that you've mentioned? I have written some curriculum. Because what I'm wondering is if there are other um, ministries out there that would be interested in talking with you or, you know, perhaps uh, connecting with you to get some ideas or if you would even be interested in lending some of your materials, you know, and, and talking with them about that, um, you know, to get something started in their area. I would um, love to. You know, um, if you would, could you share your your uh, email address and we can have listeners uh, get a hold of you that way if they have an interest in furthering a discussion along these lines? Sh- sure. My email is Carla with a K and then the at sign at unitysandiego.org. So that's all spelled out, Unity San Diego. Okay. So Carla at UnitySanDiego.org. You know, because it seems to me, and when I think about starting something like this, it's, you know, you've already broken a path. You know, you've already, um, as you mentioned, have a significant number of years in unitizing materials and such that it would be a really head start for somebody to be able to talk with you and, and, um, perhaps use materials that you've already packaged, if you will. 
I would be more than happy to share anything I have. So, well, so for the listeners, again, Carla at unitysandiego.org, if you have an interest in starting this type of a of a recovery ministry in your church, um, please give her a, uh, an email, you know. So, so Carla, if you had to characterize your spiritual path with a principle, what, what would you, what would you, how would you do that? Some people, hmm. some people say perseverance, some people say strength, you know, um, and there are others, of course. Well, I think that I'm, it's willingness, and it's willingness to serve anywhere and any time and to step up when I don't really know where I'm going. When I got that continual nudge to become a drug and alcohol counselor, and I was adamant that I don't want to do this, that nudge has turned me around to where I am now. I had no clue. So there was a bigger, a bigger thing that was happening to me and a bigger path that I needed to follow than I could even imagine. So very interested to see how it leads because I would like to move this recovery program to a full-blown recovery ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a very valuable service that you're doing, and I'm glad that you're there forging the path and um, you know showing the way because that'll give others the opportunity to follow in your footsteps. And so we're uh, just about out of time for today. And so um, I want to say thank you, Carla, for sharing your journey and your wisdom with us. And thanks to all our listeners. And please connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and join us next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central on Unity.fm. And have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on The Next Room on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.